Amen. So, Lord, yes, let me speak accurately and passionately what you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's funny. They let me get up here and talk about how it takes courage, but guess who is so happy he doesn't have to stand up here and talk about sex? This guy. That's right. <laughs> that takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I feel like we should almost just intercede for Aaron and Cameron. Oh, man, there's a job. Well, today, in the context of bridge building and, and building bridges of relationship between ourselves and God, between ourselves and other people, and helping other people build bridges between themselves and God. Oh, it's almost like a triangle. Nifty. I am going to talk about how it takes courage. It takes courage. And to, to kind of open it up, I think it's funny how sometimes Christians, when we get saved, and even as we go along in our Christian lives, we kind of have some things that are wrong assumptions about the faith. You know, and sometimes they're kind of humorous. I love to listen to Robbie Zacharias. Has anybody ever listened to him? Anybody? Okay. Well, he's an apologist. He's kind of a big deal. Travels the world. Has multiple PhDs, you know, on his team that go around and and just really say awesome things. I'm really fed by them. But I was listening to one of the testimonies of a guy on his team named Michael. And I forget his last name because Ravi's always calling everybody by their first name, you know. So Michael gets up and he's super educated. And he's, he's coming to a point late in life at the end of his college career where he realizes he believes that the Bible is true. He can't argue against it anymore, right? So he's up on a hill, literally, contemplating, and he has this horrible realization. I believe the Bible is true. I have to become a Christian. And he goes down the hill, and he calls his friend together, all his friends, and he says, Guys, I'm afraid from this day forward, I'm not going to be enjoying my life because I've decided to become a Christian. And they're all very sorry for him, and he ends up discovering God has fulfillment for him, right? God, he actually is happy now, so it's, it's a humorous story. But sometimes we have things a little mixed up. And for years, I had this lie that I was believing about the Christian life that really made the Christian life seem not vibrant, not not good, not desirable. And it's hard to build bridges from a standpoint of believing that your own faith isn't really desirable, Okay? And before I talk about that, I need to talk about samurais. I have to. So, years and years ago, a movie came out called The Last Samurai. And this was starring Tom Cruise. How Tom Cruise got to be The Last Samurai, I do not understand. And if I was Japanese, I would be a little upset about that. Be that as it may. I'm watching this movie in my living room by myself, and I'm slowly sucked in to this plot line, right? Where this disgruntled, weary old soldier gets kind of tossed into this world of samurai, and the samurai are amazing. They are noble. They are full of dignity and honor. They are brave. They laugh in the face of battle. They charge people with guns, with pointy sticks, and they're happy about it. You know, they lead these selfless, selfless lives of bravery and honor. And I found myself feeling emotions during the movie that I couldn't quite place. And they came to a head during the scene where Tom Cruise is play sword fighting with one of the kids' samurais. Does anybody remember this scene? Yeah, oh, Sean knows it. And one of the big mean, the biggest, meanest samurai, who's not very friendly to him at all, he's a captive, comes up, grabs the wooden sword, and proceeds to break Tom Cruise's face. Tom Cruise gets up, 
And he's mad, so he tries to fight him back. And the guy breaks his face again. And it's brutal, you know. But something came alive in me in that moment. And when the movie finally ended, I hit my knees right there in the living room. I could do it because I was alone. And I said, God, I'm angry. Why am I angry? God, show me why I'm so mad. And as I pondered it in the presence of the Lord, this phrase came out. God, I want to be like those samurais. I want to be strong and honorable and courageous, but I can't because I'm a Christian. And to me, Christianity meant weakness. It meant the opposite of all those things that were causing a fire to be lit inside me when I watched this movie. When I saw Tom Cruise get knocked down and get back up, and get knocked down and get back up, my heart cried out. I was like, Lord, I almost want to be trained like that. I want somebody to think so much of me that they'll pour into me everything that they are. And that's what happens in the movie. And at the end, he is a samurai. And he has that dignity and that honor and that courage. And I was hungry for that. And I felt like it was unattainable. Well, my point in life, I was working with a bunch of guys at Walmart that treated me like I was fragile. Because I was the Christian. Has anybody ever dealt with that? You're a Christian in work and people kind of treat you like you're the naive one. Like a stiff breeze of real life would just shatter you. You know what I mean? You can't possibly get it. You're a Christian. They used to joke (laughs) if they swore around me. And I liked these guys and they liked me too. But they they ribbed me, you know. If they swore, they'd be like, oh, careful, Anthony's ears are going to bleed. You know, and one day actually I scratched my ear and cut the inside of my ear and they were like, we knew it was true. His ears are bleeding. You know, he is weak. And uh, it was just this attitude that Christians are wimpy. Christians can't handle life. And then I go to church and unwittingly the pastors would reinforce this belief. How would they do that? It's a good question. Well, they would preach about things like humility. You need to be poor in spirit. You need to be meek. You have to lay down your rights. You know, you have to suffer and sacrifice. All of those are good things. We're going to talk about two of them today. But I believed this lie already, that Christianity meant weakness and wimpiness. And so, before the Lord showed me the truth, hearing that just reinforced it. Does that kind of make sense? Hearing it through that lens? That was terrible, man. So today, I'm going to talk about two things that really enforce that belief in me, and those are poverty of spirit and meekness. But we're going to see that they are the opposite of cowardliness. They are the opposite of being wimpy. And in fact, if we're going to live them out, it takes a whole lot of courage. Does that sound good? Awesome. I was going to preach through all of the Beatitudes, and then I realized that's crazy. So I just picked two. And the two that I picked are the two that really got under my skin the most. Matthew 5, 3. Jesus is sitting on the mountain. He's talking to his disciples. And he starts out with this. Blessed... Well, no, that's 5, 5. Matthew, there we are. Awesome. The graphics team, by the way, is great. And they always roll with me at the last minute. So, thank you, graphics team. All right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, this word poor is the word patokos. That sounds funny. I just thought you'd like to know. And it's actually the word for literally poor. My favorite commentary says that these aren't the working poor or kind of the mildly poor. These are the beggars. 
This word, patokos, is used of the people that have to beg just to survive. If they wanted anything to live, they had to ask other people for it. Their whole life revolved around receiving charity. They had nothing. Complete and utter destitution. This verse is saying we need to have that in our spirits. Now, that's very interesting. As I dug into that, I began to realize what this wasn't. This is not feeling crappy. Being poor in spirit does not mean being sad all the time. Being poor in spirit does not mean hating yourself. In fact, I read another commentary that says you can't drum this up. You can't try to hate yourself enough to be, pov- to be poor in spirit. It's not even the same thing. Being poor in spirit is actually the gift of God. The Holy Spirit enlightens you just enough to know that you don't have anything that can commend you to God. All right? You're enlightened enough to be freed from the self-deception that I have everything it takes for everything that might come my way. I read an old, old sermon by a guy named Spurgeon. Anybody ever heard of him? Sounds like Sturgeon. Awesome. And he was talking about how sometimes right before people get saved, they seem to be overtaken by this depression. It's almost a hopelessness, you know, right before salvation. And Spurgeon was saying, I'm not against that at all. Because that seems to produce the best converts. That was true for me. Poverty in spirit is God's gift to us to recognize just how much we need Him. And you know what? That's not weak. It takes courage to acknowledge the fact that I need Jesus. And more than that, once you acknowledge it, it has a very unexpected result. Let's take a look at what Paul thought about this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. through 10. And he, he's talking here about how he has these amazing revelations. He's visited heaven. So God does an interesting thing as a favor to Paul. Because of these surprisingly great revelations. Okay. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What? That sounds terrible. Next verse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That word sufficient, by the way, is the word akeo, which means possessed of unfailing strength. My power has unfailing strength for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yep. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul realized what the devil doesn't want us to realize. It takes courage to be poor in spirit, to recognize how much we need God. And the minute we fully acknowledge that, the minute we have the courage to say, Yes, spiritually I'm a beggar. God, I, am, I need you. I need everything you can give to me. I need grace for other people. I need compassion. I need wisdom. I need the fortitude to go on. I need some insight here. I need some help emotionally, God. I don't have it. I need it from you. When we do that, God's power funnels through us. So Paul realizes, oh, I've been asking God to take away this thing that's actually showing me how weak I am and therefore allowing God's power to flow through me. God's power is more powerful than our power. (laughs) Isn't it weird? (laughs) Poverty of spirit is the gateway to operating in God's power. Does that sound cowardly? 
Does that sound weak? Does that sound wimpy? Should we be real upset about it? No, I was deceived. Let's go to the next one. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. My wife said it best. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness, I read a lot of definitions. They all say kind of the same thing. It's accepting God's plan without question, even the hardships that may come our way. All right? And not thinking anything of yourself. Now, that doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't sound very samurai, I admit it. But check out what Vine says. This is kind of a long definition. The meaning of proutes, this word, is not readily expressed in English. No kidding. For the terms meekness and mildness commonly used suggest weakness and cowardice to a greater or lesser extent, whereas proutes does nothing of the kind. Nevertheless, it is difficult to find a rendering less open to objection. Gentleness has been suggested, but gentleness has to do with actions, and proutes has to do with the condition of mind and heart. Rather, it must be clearly understood, therefore, that the meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer, the meekness that God had, and the meekness that we're supposed to have, is the fruit of power. Meekness is the fruit of power. The common assumption that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself is not true. The Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command. And it goes on to say that it is the opposite of self-assertedness simply because it is not occupied with self at all. To be truly meek, you have to be coming from a position of strength and power. If you're in fact helpless and weak and wimpy, the option to be really meek is not available to you. Luckily, we are in a position of power. We just found out. When we recognize our poverty of spirit, God's power flows through us. Now, if we add meekness to that, oh man, we're not even concerned with defending our ego? We can do anything. Suddenly we're dangerous, right? A commentator named, uh, actually there's three of them, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, they're talking about a spirit of meekness, and they say this, I really like it. It is that temper of spirit. This is kind of older English. Bear with it. The temper of spirit towards God, whereby we accept his dealings without, without disputing, and then towards men, whereby we endure their provocations and do not withdraw ourselves from the burdens their sins impose on us. We accept God's plan, and we do not draw back from people no matter what their provocations might be and what burdens their sins impose on us. Who heard Kathy's word in worship? Yeah. We need not to say, I'm done with you. We need not to say, you have offended me. You have hurt me too much. The spirit of meekness charges forward in spite of hurt and in spite of pain and out of love. I don't have what it takes to do that. I'm poor in spirit. I'm in a great spot. God's power is going to flow through me. Right? We can have what it takes. But does that sound like it's for wimps? No. Sounds pretty courageous to me. So, in the five or so minutes that I have left, I want to talk about some bridge builders in history that embodied this. One of them is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa has always talked about as someone who's done great things. She's a great humanitarian. She's kind of the unattainable goal, you know, in our minds. And yet, 
Mother Teresa said this about herself, and I'm quoting from the book by Heidi Baker. That is, that is called Compelled by Love, which is great. Nicole cried all the way through it. She highly recommends it. <laughs> this is what Mother Teresa said. I don't think there's anyone who needs God's help and grace as much as I do. Sometimes I feel so helpless and weak. I think that is why God uses me, because I cannot depend on my own strength. I rely on Him 24 hours a day. If the day had even more hours, I would need His help and grace during those hours as well. This is a lady that served the poor and lived in poverty by choice for 50 years. Okay, 49. She started serving the poor in 1948. She resigned from her post and died finally in 1997. Went home to be with the Lord. 50 years! People would call her and go to visit her to say, how do I do it? How do I do what you're doing? And her response is, heck, I can't even do what I'm doing. I rely on the Lord. as poverty of spirit and the power of God flowing through her to build bridges with the poor and conquer. That's courage, right? Is that wimpiness? No, Mother Teresa is not a wimp. Has anyone heard of Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott. Kind of a famous missionary. He was a tall, handsome, athletic man. He was a wrestler in college. And in the 40s, he was, he was called to go and be a missionary in Ecuador. They made a movie about him and his friends called At the End of the Spear. They were all killed eventually. But this guy was, he was a wrestler, by the way, even though he's a pacifist. So I guess those two can go together. But he's educated. He decides he wants to take his wife and a team and go to Ecuador. And in Ecuador, he's going to witness to this tribe called the Huarani, who are known to be terribly violent. You know? But he had already written in his journal this famous line. In 1949, he said, He is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I don't know if he knew how much he would be giving. He and three others in the Huarani camp were brutally murdered. They were macheted and speared to death. Gross, right? I watched a documentary called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. And uh, they described finding the bodies and, and all this stuff. And I was floored. And it makes me want to cry just thinking about it. I might. Dang it. Nah, it's all right. Not going to happen. His wife was talking about Jim and all the other guys, big athletic guys. And they were butchered, basically. But guess what? All of them had guns. All of them. And they had decided they would never injure a Horani person for any reason, even if it cost them their lives, because they were concerned with their eternal well-being, and their own was set. Wow! That's like samurai-level courage, is it not? Born out of poverty of spirit and meekness, concern for these other people. I end at 10.10, so I have time. Yes! Thank you so much. I was looking at that. I saw the thing, and it said 9.30. I was like, wait a minute. That's not good. Oh, that is real good. How's everybody doing? That is awesome. You're all in trouble now. All right. I misread the brochure. And I speak at New Day Vine, and that means that I'm used to speaking for 20 minutes flat. So I'm really glad that she just said that. Awesome. What did I skip that I want to go back and talk about? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I want to use this quote from Heidi Baker. I want to go back and talk about poverty of spirit for a minute. Because I skipped the part about choice. 
Does poor in spirit. We just rewound. Okay. Does poor in spirit mean financially poor? No. I believe that the poor in spirit is a posturing of the heart where one is wholly given, fully yielded, completely desperate, and totally dependent on God alone. The Lord wants to cause even the rich and the middle class to be poor in spirit and know that they are in total need of Him. To be poor in spirit recognizes our need in God. And here's a point that I wanted to say that I skipped for time, is that this is not a sad view. This is not a cynical view. This falls into the category of a realistic view. Okay? The world will do all kinds of things. Naturally, we do it. We do it as guys that tries to make it look like we have it all together. I have what it takes. Okay? I had a buddy at work who personified this. He was amazingly macho without even trying. It was astounding. And he would always walk with his shoulders back and his chin was always up and he always had this like confident kind of expression in his eyes and he was always kind of looking into the distance. And whenever you asked him a question, he had an answer. It was amazing. And he got to be a manager pretty quickly, actually. More about him at the end. But this is a choice to recognize our poverty in spirit. We need to choose it and embrace it for God's power to flow through us. Guess what? Meekness too. It's a choice. And it's not something we can drum up. We actually need the gift of meekness to be meek. Alright, so I talked about Jim Elliott. talked about Mother Teresa. How about Martin Luther King? Was he a bridge builder? I think so. Was that guy pretty selfless? Was he concerned with the well-being of people other than himself? I think so. And it ended up costing him. Right? But a furiously courageous bridge builder. Someone to be modeled. How about Paul? Paul was a bridge builder, man. Maybe the greatest apostle in all of history. And yet, when we read about what Paul went through, man, at the end of The Last Samurai, they go through some stuff. But listen to this list about what Paul went through. He said, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. I love, by the way, that he says, more severely flogged, as if some people have been flogged, but I've been really flogged. (laughs) You're flogging. That was a poser's flogging. I got beat. All right. I've, (laughs) I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have constantly been on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, bandits, from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, and this is the worst part, I face daily the weight of all the churches, the concern for all the churches. That may have been a jab at the Corinthians, maybe. Like, you're adding to this, people. All right. (laughs) Poor Corinthians. But does that sound like a laundry list that a wimp goes through? I think it takes courage. Am I beating this horse to death? I hope so. Christianity, walking with Jesus... Poverty of spirit, meekness, all the fruit of the spirit, all the beatitudes cannot be done by cowards. 
cannot be done by people who are relying on themselves. All these things are gifts of God that we need to choose to accept. And if we don't, ultimately, we will not make it. We need Him to be courageous. So how about Anthony? When Anthony was at Walmart, hearing all this crap from his friends, and every day, man, like, I've got to be a Christian. I'm going to be strong, man. And putting up with these guys as abuse day after day, and in the meantime, building relationship. I look back on that now and I think, you know, I was actually pretty good. I didn't even know I was being courageous, you know, but I actually was. I ended up having an influence on those guys because I was living out of this place without even knowing it. I want to end with, well, it's, it's kind of scary. Is that okay? It's a challenge. It's in the Bible. God says it. And it's something that we really need to get a handle on today, I think. It's both encouraging and intimidating at the same time. This is in Revelations 21. Big end of the story. New Jerusalem's coming down out of heaven. And the voice from the throne says this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, all these people, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. There's a short list here of the people that won't make it. The cowardly top the list. Scary. It takes courage to follow Jesus. It takes courage to be a bridge builder. But we're in a great spot because admitting we need it and being poor in spirit opens us up up to be a funnel of God's power. Thank you very much. I'm going to leave it to Aaron to end. What a good word. Encouraging but challenging. Um, So how do we respond to that? Um, How many of you guys can relate to what Anthony shared? You know, co-workers or friends or family or whatever and um, saying that, you know, the idea of your ears are going to bleed if if I swear. You can't handle the stresses of life because you're a weak Christian. Um, I know I've experienced that in my life. Uh, The funny thing about that, though, is those same people that may mock you for your faith or tease you or whatnot are the same ones that come to you when things fall apart around them. You know, they go through a divorce or there's a death in the family or real life does happen, you know. And they come to you and say, what is your source um, of strength? Or how do you do it, you know? And you can point them to Jesus. You can point them to the one that is our source of strength. And that's when it comes alive. That's when the idea of, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. That's when the rubber hits the road, when difficult stuff happens, you know. And I think that's when our witness becomes the strongest, is in tough days, when those around us are going through difficult things. So my, my question, my challenge is to you, A, are you living a life that Anthony described, are you living courageous? Are you emptying yourself of your own strength and relying on his strength so that it's noti- so that it's noticeable to those around you? And secondly, 
do you have the courage to share that with people when they approach you in that moment? Can you communicate it? Have you thought about it? These are the things to think about. How, if someone were to ask me, where is, where, is my sense, where is my source of hope? Where is my source of strength? Would you be able to tell them? So I guess that's the, the main challenge I want to have. And, and for those of you who, who want that, would you stand with me and, and let's, let's pray, let's respond to this. Um, you know, when, when I'm going through difficult things, um, and, I'm, and I'm having stresses or whatnot, my wife will pray with me, and, and our prayer is simple. It's empty us of our own strength and fill us with your strength. Because really, our strength is not strength. It's not. It doesn't work. And I, there's so much power in that prayer. I, I, uh, when we're going through tough times, that becomes almost like a, a, a mantra for us. We'll, we'll be praying that a lot. Um, but maybe it's just something we should be praying every day. So, Father, we pray right now that you just empty us of our own strength. Empty us of our own selfishness. Empty us of anything that's not of you. And fill us with with all of you. Fill us with your strength. Fill us with your courage, your bravery, your confidence, Father. And I pray that this would become um, our battle cry. That this would become our mantra, if you will, that we would um, continually become more reliant on you, God, because you are the source of strength. In our weakness, you are strong. And I just pray that we would live lives um, where people would come to us and ask us, what is the source of your strength? What is the source of your hope? What is the source of your joy and your peace? And that you would equip us with the words to speak in that moment, God. We want to be completely reliant on you, on your wisdom, on your truth. We choose your wisdom. We choose your truth. We choose your strength today. Go with us this week, God. I just pray that we'd be continually reminded of those words that Anthony shared with us to be courageous, to choose your strength. I bless each one. I pray for a mighty move of God in this place, that you um, that you draw the people that need you into this house, God. You equip us with the ability to, to invite people into relationship with you. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. We pray for salvations in this house, Lord. Pray for a collective stirring of our hearts um, to proclaim your truth to those around us, Lord. We believe it. We expect it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks.